Coming up on Art Palace. Wigs many times hide up, cover up what you don't want to be revealed at that moment in time. Welcome to Art Palace, produced by Cincinnati Art Museum. This is your host, Russell Eyrig. Here at the Art Palace, we meet cool people and then talk to them about art. Today's cool person is Catherine Gardet, positive broker, artistic, logistic, and civic. So just to get started, tell us a little bit about yourself. I am a native Cincinnatian, and I love Walnut Hills, where the Cincinnati Art Museum is located. Mm -hmm. I've been a resident of Walnut Hills for almost 30 years, grew up next door in Evanston in the house that my mother grew up in. I believe that you must give back in all the wondrous ways that you are involved in your life, and I've been fortunate to do that. So as I said, uh, the positive broker, I literally went back to grad school and got a Master of Science in Positive Organization Development and Change from Case Western Reserve University. I artistically, I'm in an ensemble called Drums for Peace, and Drums for Peace is part of the Through the Looking Glass that is a project that was with the Cincinnati Art Museum that won a Corbett Award. Oh, wow. It's, yep, that was very exciting to do. Logistically, I am the engagement ambassador with Prestige AV and Creative Services. And civically, currently, I'm the president of the Walnut Hills Area Council. And in that civic category, I believe in giving back to the industry in which I work. So I volunteer with Meeting Professionals International and the International Live Event Association here in town, as well as Learning Through Art, which is a, a organization founded by Kathy Wade. So tell us a little bit about, I mean, you kind of just did in some ways, but tell us more about giving back. Giving back, for example, last night I facilitated our monthly area council meeting. Mm -hmm. And in that, as a community council, there are many things that come to us. So to give you an example, we had two development projects that made presentations. And we had residents that were concerned about one of the development projects. So it's connecting people mm -hmm. so that you can have those conversations. So there's a win-win in the, in the ultimately, uh, the give back looks like picking up the garbage on my street. Okay. It, it's been for uh, Soapbox Media has been doing an on the ground series in Wanted Hills and I've been the host of what's called the open newsrooms that we've been having, which is having conversations like you and I are with themes for each day that we gather to talk to residents mm -hmm. and businesses that are here. So give back is connecting. Yeah. What are maybe some some changes you've seen happening in Walnut Hills over, I don't know, the past 10 years? Great question of what's been happening in Walnut Hills for the last 10 years, because I believe that most people see what's happened coming out of the ground in the last mm. four or five years and think that that's just how long it's been. Yeah. But one of the big changes that happened in the last 10 years was Walnut Hills, a return to two-way streets on William Howard Taft and McMillan. And while that's only been in existence for a few years, the need and the conversations that started 
started that literally have been going on for 20 years, but it takes time for that. So that's a change that's, that's happening. A change that I've lived through is seeing our census track say that we had 20,000 residents that lived in Wanted Hills to a decline of 7,000 mm-hmm. at the last census. And we know that in the census that will be coming up this year. So I, my plug for fill out your census, uh, April 1st is that day, is that we know that there's going to be an increase Mm -hmm. in population in the neighborhood. So seeing different demographics move into Mm -hmm. the neighborhood. You know, when you come into Walnut Hills, it says a diverse neighborhood since 1800. That is a truism for us. And that diversity is still here. You know, by this time next year, the first African-American owned brewery will be in what I call the corner of downtown Walnut Hills Mm -hmm. at Gilbert and McMillan in Paramount Square. Nice, nice. So you were talking about making streets two ways, and you said it as if it were obvious why that's a big deal. And I guess I'm curious, why is it a big deal? Like, what what did that mean for those streets and for that neighborhood? It is statistically proven that one-way streets, Mm -hmm. if you are driving in your car Mm -hmm. and you go past the business that you wanted to go to, Mm. you think twice about going back around the block to do that. So we have history that over the course of time that the businesses that were on the one-way streets Mm -hmm. didn't have the business to support them, so they Mm. closed. And you have that economic proof that one-way streets are contributing to the demise of business districts. That's fascinating. It's very fascinating. Like that's a because when you said that, I just sort of thought like, okay, I mean, I'm sure I kind of knew like, well, there's got to be a reason for this, but I was just kind of curious, like I, I would have never thought that. And does it affect like, you know, so much of downtown is, is one way streets. Does it, is it is true in a downtown district as well? Or is it more like sort of neighborhood? Type? I would say yes. That mm-hmm. if we look at our central business district, there are times in history mm-hmm. that you can see that the one way streets impacted whether a business was successful or not. We need to remember that part of Vine Street that is now two way five years ago was one way. And since it's turned to two way, there's be a a resurgence of activity on those streets. So uh, for me, it doesn't matter whether you're in the central business district in an urban neighborhood or in suburbia, if your business district has one way streets, there's, there's some challenges that you're dealing with. I love stuff like that. I think it's so fascinating because it's like these decisions that are made. I think we always think we're so in like, control of ourselves, but we're so influenced by these minute little things about a city and how it runs and the way, you know, how a sidewalk looks or something will affect whether you walk on that side or, you know, like all of those little minute things change how we interact with spaces and cities. It certainly does when you say when you walk past a space. So there are also studies that have been done for development and and neighborhoods that are coming back that you literally want your development to happen building by building by building, not a building on this block and a Mm. building in the next block because people are concerned about walking that block where there's nothing there to 
get to it. Right. So you have to keep that in mind as well. So you have to be strategic and literally go down a path with it. Like Very strategic. Wow, that is fascinating. And on the flip side, I will say that one of the reasons why there are one-way streets, specifically in our community, is that you think what's on the other side. We have the university. We have mm. hospitals. They need their employees to easily get in and right. out. So it's a plus for them uh, in that. When we have expanded the 71 exit route, and I look at the 71 since the exit route has been uh, opened, and still, there's still a lot of traffic coming off yeah. of Macmillan or Taft, all going over to the university right. and hospitals. Yeah, that's true. Interesting. Um, anything else you want to say about just the Walnut Hills neighborhood in general or things that you are excited about, things that you're looking forward to? I'm very excited that the Cincinnati Ballet is going to be across from yeah. the Cincinnati Art Museum. Yeah. I'm very excited that we have a ceramicist that is has purchased a building and is redoing a building. One of the little known facts is that Walnut Hills has been an artist enclave, a diverse artist enclave for decades. We don't tout that we're an artist uh, enclave within mm -hmm. the city. We just are. Right. We have recording studios. We have Grammy Award nominated musicians and composers that live in Wanted Hills. We have award winning visual artists and performing artists that live in Wanted Hills. We have innovation that's happening right here in Wanted Hills. And that's something that not everyone knows about this community that is just a wonderful thing that we have. Yeah. Tell me a little more about Drums for Peace because you mentioned that forever ago now it seems like, but you you, you, you threw that out there, and I'm curious a little bit uh, to hear a little bit more about what they do. So Drums for Peace, we do arts integration and corporate team building using percussion, story, and song. Mm -hmm. So there is, we know, for example, that the frame drum, you will find a frame drum on every continent except um, Antarctica, mm -hmm. and they are drums that connect the world. So you can talk about how people are connected by a percussive instrument. Mm -hmm. You can talk about in the team building, how everyone can play the same root rhythm consistently. But when you add a polyrhythm to it, mm. that causes the mind to think differently. We know that hand-eye coordination with young children is developed through rhythms, the ability to play rhythms. And Drums for Peace, we're a, a great component of, if you can say it, you can play it. So it's getting that full body into the rhythm of it. You'll find us around on second Sundays on Main doing samba parades. Okay. Uh, Baba Charles and his enclave have been part of the Martin Luther King Day for 25 years. Back in the old days when Artworks had a performance tent for 10 summers, Drums for Peace was the performance tent, was sidebar of that. One of the students who was in our performance tent the year that we actually built instruments, one of the instruments we built was from a gourd and it's called a shake array. Mm -hmm. When she went off to college, she built shaker rays to help supplement her, oh, cool. her college. So it's, it's that hand on that is still there. Nice. What's a polyrhythm? A polyrhythm is, um, that's okay. a polyrhythm. So I want you to clap the pulse. Okay. Wait, wait. Okay. No, this is going to make me look bad. Okay. So, so just think of one, two, three, four. Okay. Okay. That's what I'm doing. That's okay. the pulse. Okay. Okay. So you do the pulse. Okay.
So the polyrhythm is that you could feel that tension between us yeah. when you were clapping and I wasn't and I was and you weren't. That's what makes it the okay. polyrhythm. Okay. And now all of my coworkers are wondering what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> we're creating music. We're creating art. <laughs> Probably somebody was like sitting there like, what are they doing? <laughs> like, desk. <laughs> so um, you, I understand you have a space that used to be a salon. Yes. And we still call it a salon in the 17th century aspect of a salon. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> One... Charles and I are invested in Walnut Hills as well. And one of the ways that we invested was by purchasing a commercial space in mm. the business district. And Miss Daisy's was the first African-American-owned beauty salon and spa in Cincinnati. Wow. It's fascinating. There's a sauna and a jacuzzi in the basement. And the salon, the hair salon component was on the first floor. Uh-huh. And upstairs is where she had exercise classes. Okay. And there was another salon up there. So is this really looking at wellness, not just from yeah. getting your hair done, but the whole person being taken care of? Oh, so cool. When did when did it open? It was in the 80s that it opened. The building was built as a bank. I love our building. It is a single stack mid-modern uh-huh. built in 1958. Oh, well, that's a, I, that sounds really cool. Now I'm like, I'm like, I need to come see this building. Please do. We yeah. host mindfulness twice a week, okay. 8 a.m. on Monday mornings and 8.30 p.m. on Thursday evenings. So that's crazy. So the first, um, you said it was the first black owned hair salon or first owned business. It was the first African-American owned beauty salon salon. and spa. So, and Miss Daisy invested in the building. It's one of those, um, things that I talk about today. It's great for a business to have business and get business support, but for sustainability, I'm a firm believer that businesses need to own the building Mm -hmm. in which their business resides because when you own the building, your rents don't go up. You don't get priced out. And Miss Daisy believed in that as well and purchased that building. Yeah. I thought uh, we would actually look at a piece that is kind of inspired by hair and and salons and uh that idea of of really identity that i think is so linked to hair um and we're gonna check out a piece right now in uh the women breaking boundaries exhibition great So we are in Women Breaking Boundaries now, and we are standing in front of Lorna Simpson's piece, which is just called Wigs uh, Portfolio. And this is a collection of lots of different um, photographs, really, of wigs that are printed on felt. And they're kind of arranged almost, I don't know, how, how would you describe this arrangement? They're a hodgepodge Mm -hmm. of decades of how wigs were worn, how women incorporated the use of wigs into their lives at the time. Yeah, I. but uh, the way they're... So what it makes me think of is it feels very scientific, almost, like the way they're arranged. Yeah. Like the, and maybe it's because they also have, we should mention, in addition to the, the photos of the wigs, um, which are just kind of photographed, like it looks like on a white background, like very plain. Um, there are also these like little 
almost like tags that maybe that's what looks almost like scientific, uh, the descriptor, right. That are kind of also pinned some to the wall, some sort of between the wigs, some on the actual pieces. It's, it's, they're very strange. And if you read the pieces, they sort of ask more questions than answer them. They They do. They bring up all sorts of things. This one actually over here is one of my favorites. It's on this blonde wig and it says she dressed them as twins, sometimes female, sometimes male. Yes. And like, that's so provocative about like, what? What's going on? And what I find very interesting, there's just one blonde in the whole showing here, as well as there are wigs that you know you would see on a European. There are wigs that you know you would see on an African-American. Now, the one here that is the locks, the braids that are there, the twist. And yet you also have twist that would be on like Shirley Temple that you would see. So I, I, I was, uh, I decided I, I should probably actually do a little bit of research before I started uh, break my, uh, typical routines. And one of the things I thought was really fascinating that I found out is all of the wigs are printed, um, to scale. So these are all actual size. So these little tiny wigs that you pointed at, you said Shirley Temple, those are for dolls. They're doll, doll wigs. wigs. Yeah. <laughs> and probably a Shirley Temple doll. It might be. Yeah. I mean, they have that look of like a very old doll. Um, so I think that's another thing though, that makes you relate almost a, immediately to like the body with most of them is that they feel like, you know, that's the size of that wig. Yeah. Like you could just put that on your head. So I find the use of wigs very intriguing uh, to myself. Mm-hmm. I grew up in a household where my mother wore wigs, uh-huh. not all the time, but she would wear wigs and my sister, still today, we were on a trip mm. and she went into her favorite wig store because it was almost winter and she wears wigs as her winter cap. Yeah. yeah so m- my sister, Marcia Denise, does that. But also, I don't know if many people know that women who are Orthodox Jewish, they do not show their hair in public. Right. So they also are always covered in a wig. Really? Yes. That is fascinating. That is, yeah, that's one of those fascinating things that I knew how they the wig would off cover their their heads, but I didn't know you could wear get away with a wig. That you seems could, that seems like a technicality. <laughs> I. I I know women who are my friends yeah. who are Orthodox and they've... It just seems like a loophole, right? It's like... a, yeah, a little loophole, <laughs> but a long-term loophole. Right, right. The other thing I find fascinating about this exhibit is the use of the nets mm. and wigs. Yeah. How the, literally I can think of my mother putting her wigs into a net to store that's how you store. If you didn't have a wig head, yeah. you put it in a net so it was protected. Yeah, it it is like, and it's funny because she hasn't. She's only done it with a few of them, but there's, and, and it's interesting because it gives this different sort of. Uh, dimension to the pieces because some of most of them look like they're just kind of hanging on the wall um which is kind of an odd you really not how you would display a wig like you're saying that you would normally have it on a wig head um and then these others are hanging from uh it just looks like a nail or a pin or something that's hanging from that net so they become yeah they 
they, they almost look like a little trapped animal or something they like do. you imagine like sort of when a snare trap comes up and it's like what it makes me think of it's also fascinating and i look at all you can see that many of these wigs are really not full coverings but hair pieces so that you right. know, the woman would pretty much put her hair up in a ponytail in a bun on her head and then she would add this additional bun or add the additional ponytail to make it long for her yeah i think one of the things you know she she brought up about the idea and this kind of comes up in that label i read about like dressing them up as twins sometimes male female is the way that the hair is so directly connected with identity and you brought up the idea of like a lot of these look like wigs that would be worn by like african-american American women. I think she she bought all the wigs in her neighborhood in Brooklyn. And um, so it kind of reflects the clientele of the neighborhood, you know. Um, and Which makes me even more intrigued. Why is there that platinum blonde up there? But, you know, it's like, I think that makes sense, too, because it's like, this is 94. You can kind of, I'm like, immediately I think of Lil' Kim, like, oh, wearing yes. her, like, blonde or, like, all of her sort of, you know, like, that kind of uh, sort of very purposefully, like, we know this is a wig, like, this is... I'm not you, pretending. Right, yeah, like, it's this is sort of a costume and we all get it. Um, <clears throat> so, I mean, maybe it was from that, you know, who knows like what, what this sort of, or, or, or maybe they just, you know, it could just be like, Oh, we, we keep this around because who knows somebody's going to buy it one day. But I think the idea of one of the things when uh, I mentioned this piece was also in the exhibition 30 Americans. And one of the things I, I, I enjoyed thinking about then when I would look at it and talk about it with people was the idea of like how, how, different it would be for each of us to put on these wigs based on who we are in society, right? So like for me to put on that blonde wig means something different than for you to put on that blonde wig. And for both of us, it's it's something seen as like, we shouldn't be wearing that blonde wig, right? Correct. Me because I'm a man primarily. And me because I'm, I'm an African-American woman with dark hair. Right, right. And so those are both these sort of weird things that there's a lot of weight to it. And the idea of like how much, you know, when you see somebody, it's like we put a lot of sort of importance on hair and where we think they are in society, you know, and, and what their position is. And, yes. you know, it's, it's really interesting. One of the things I do is sometimes I'll walk through, I walk my dogs through the park and this is maybe getting way off topic. So maybe I'll edit this out, but, but I, I will think about how I'll see people sleeping in the park and I'll think about how, what makes me think they're homeless or not. Yeah. Like whether, like, what are the things like, because sometimes you see people sleeping in the park and you think they have nowhere else to sleep. And then sometimes you can just tell they're just sleeping in a park because it's like fun or it's, you know, it's like this interesting thing, especially when the weather's nice. It's like a spring day. There'll just be like people laying around and it's like, it's really fascinating to be like, think about like, what are the clues that I'm picking up here? Because I know instinctively and immediately whether this is a person who has to sleep in a park or a person who is just choosing to sleep in a park. And a lot of times it's extraneous things like hair or clothes or what they're wearing. And it's like, it's very fascinating. Like, why do I, why, why do I have this perception of this person? You know, it's the same with wigs. Yeah. 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 And it, I don't wear a wig, but many people are always surprised because I wear my hair mostly twisted up on top mm -hmm. of my hair to know that my hair is as long as that wig in that oh, picture. Oh, wow. Really? You know, I, 
I donate 18, 19 inches of hair every few years. Wow. That's impressive. Well, and, and there's also, there's this mustache wig too, or it's like a fake mustache, which I think is another one that kind of hints at the ideas of, of how gender are a part of this too. Like, I think that's a really fascinating thing. Again, for you to wear that is different for me to wear it. Um, for you to put on a fake mustache suddenly bears a, a very different weight than it does for me to wear that. Reminds me of a Lucille Ball, I Love Lucy episode with the fake mustache. Oh, I don't remember. I don't think I know if I've seen that one. What happens? She was trying to hide from Ricky. Of course, so, yeah. <laughs> you know, she put on the mustache and tried to be part of the band. Oh, okay, okay. I probably have seen that one then. <laughs> then again, that's probably happens in many, many episodes. Yeah. And then uh, this one over here, too, which I've heard some people call a goatee. The goatee, yes. And it's placed on the paper like. Well, it, but it, well ain't, it ain't a goatee. It's not a goatee. It's, you know, got to go a little lower. And that was confirmed. But when I was listening, I found some audio um, of Lorna Simpson talking about it. And it is, in fact, a merkin, uh, which is a genital wig. Um, so which, you know, a lot of times was popular, I, I believe, when basically people had like would shave uh, because they were so worried about like pubic lice and stuff. And that that was like... They would they would have to shave their bodies, but then wear a wig. But it was still fashionable. I, and again, this is also fascinating because if if she did, like she said, bought these all in her neighborhood, it's kind of amazing. That- What's going on in Brooklyn? <laughs> I mean, I'm not surprised. There's probably, you know, you can probably get something, you can probably get anything in, in Brooklyn if you look hard enough, I would guess. This one on top here is, you can see it's a sew-in piece. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking about that. Like, some of them you can tell are, are I mean, it's interesting because she's sort of taken the, like, the definition of the wig, like, with the the mustache and that one and, and extended it. And it's kind of fun to see, like, even the doll wigs are kind of interesting, like, sort of taking... A, like this, and again, maybe that's almost this like scientific approach to it where it's like, here are my specimens. Look at them. <laughs> I remember as a little girl taking the curling comb or the hot comb mm-hmm. to my doll baby's hair when I was little. Yeah. So I can see why. You would want wigs and things for your your doll babies as well as yourself. That's that's interesting. You know, I I, I and I I think about like the kids I grew up with and like their dolls were always like an experimenting like the place where they experimented on their hair. You know, you would like find those those Barbies in somebody's like house that were all like shaved practically because they'd been put through the ringer of crayon marks <laughs> on yeah, them or marker different marks. styles yes. and yeah, <laughs> they'd sort of exhausted all the possibilities. And she was down to sort of scary little spikes. Um, <laughs> and the holes coming through the yeah. head. Yeah. But I think that's that's true. It's kind of like a place where little kids like can like almost practice that like experimentation and like style and ideas of that. That Yeah. I find it interesting that of these wigs here, except for the mustache, possibly this one, most of them infer female usage. Yeah, yeah. It's it's hard to tell. Like the one you you pointed, it looks like kind of a short. Like it's hard to tell. Like it's it's a little bit. It's just you know a big round circle of hair. So it it, it could be a man's wig. It could be a woman's wig because we're not seeing too much details. Um, 
Yeah, maybe that one up in the corner also, but definitely, I mean, but I think that makes sense also because it's like, wouldn't you say women are probably the predominant shoppers of wigs? I do believe so. I mean, I don't, I don't have the stats on that. I actually believe women are the more public purchaser of wigs because men don't necessarily want it to be known that. Well, that's true. I mean, wearing a wig. Yeah. I also think like it kind of speaks to the sort of differences of like what men can get away with. Right. Like I, like I'm standing here very bald. Don't really care (laughs) that much. Haven't really been that torn up about it. Um, and I have probably very similar hair though to my grandmother who just passed away. Um, she had very, very fine hair and all her life she wore a wig, you know? So the thing that to me, like genetically, we have basically the same hair probably. Um, the thing that to me is sort of like, eh, whatever, Mm -hmm. like, I sure it'd be nice if I had hair, but I'm certainly not going to invest a lot of money in it or, or, you know, like, and and the idea of like, also the idea of like wearing a wig for me would also feel like I'm trying to like trick somebody. And, you know, like, so that's another thing about it that it feels like maybe deceitful. Um, And yet women use wigs, hair pieces as they use jewelry many times. Yeah. It's an accessory that you put on because you're going to this event and you want your hair to look X way. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think, yeah, it's, it's true. It's both, it's, it's like a little bit of a, you know, it goes a little bit both ways. I think in general, it's like, you know, obviously there's so much more pressure put on women about how they look and how they present themselves. And I think that's like a big part of it obviously like why women probably are buying the most wigs but then also it is it is kind of i'm a little jealous that they do get that freedom of expression which i think you can see in a lot of fashion as well like men's fashion is usually pretty boring after a certain period of time you know like there's there are there are parts of history where suddenly men get to be really flamboyant and extravagant Mm -hmm. but in general it's like billy porter's the only man we care about what he wears to the oscars right like because he's out of the box (laughs) right right like he gets to be expressive and fun at the oscars whereas like everyone else like you know it's like oh okay his tux is purple wow like and that's a big deal suddenly whereas um you know women's fashion has always been allowed to be more expressive in that way so yeah i think you're right that idea of a wig as an accessory and actually that was the thing that also always sort of fascinated me in about my grandmother's wigs even though frankly they all look just like old lady hair you know like they were and there was she had a bunch of them and i couldn't tell them all apart like it's like she could you know it's like they all look alike what's the difference um is just uh you know that idea of like oh that's so fun you get to like wear a costume like to me it's a cot you know it's like oh you get to wear a costume and i think um when you hear like if you think about in movies if there's a man wearing a toupee or a wig it's always a joke right like it's never like any- it's not really real it's never a it's never a point of pride or like you know it's always treated like as oh the wig comes off and it's a joke ha 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 so i think for a balding man to wear a wig is and still in our society is seen as kind of like it's it's there's that idea of deceit or shame or something in it and that's i don't think exists for a woman until we go way 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 back when when in government oh sure sure you went to do your job you put on the robe and the wig yeah or yeah i mean yeah even the like sort of um you know, 18th century fashion, right? You know, if I'm thinking of like our paintings upstairs of like Richard Pierce Simons with his powdered wig and you just think like, yeah, that was a part of 
you know, men's fashion at that time where wigs were just a thing to wear. So yeah, again, it just depends. So maybe we're, we're moving into that period. Maybe we'll have another time where men can wear wigs without fear it's of... It's interesting what's considered <laughs> normal at what period yeah, of time. Totally. And that's and I think that's why I like this piece a lot is that it brings up all these ideas of... It, it's so simple, but it brings up all those concepts to me. It does. And wigs many times hide up, cover up what you don't want to be revealed at that moment in time. Mm. So you can, for example, these wigs that are very, the hair is straight, they have a nice curl to them. It's more acceptable. It's more white Mm. versus the ones that are the braids, Mm -hmm. the twist, the locks, you know that that's an ethnic wig. Yeah. Well, and this is, and you know, and this is like very timely too, because there's been so much in about, about the way sort of black hair is policed recently. And, and I'm, I'm going to forget the kid's name who is having all those troubles with his school and stuff because of his hair. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you... I, I don't remember his name, but I know that as well. He got it invited to the Oscars because yes, of yes, it. Yes, that's right. Yeah. He was yeah. here. Yeah. So, I mean, the ideas of, of what that hair represents, um, and it's just hair, you know, it's like, you just can't do anything about it. It's like, this is what grows out of my head, you know, like you can't help it. Yeah. And yet there are organizations and entities that do put an emphasis on what does your hair look like? We want your hair to look a certain way. We don't want your hair shown. When you think about hair and religion, we, I mean, we talked about the Orthodox Jews, but there are other religions that, you know, I think of the Amish community, not for the women, but you can tell from a man how long they've been married by how long their beard is. Because once they get married, they no longer cut their beard. Or there are some um, Pentecostal churches that a woman is never to cut her hair. Yeah, yeah. So you have all that spans. It's not the wigs, but the importance of hair in society. It It's part of our society, whether it's your own natural hair or it's the hair that you use to cover up your hair. Yeah. yeah. And there was, you know, I think of timing where most wigs were made from synthetic hair. Mm-hmm. And because there's been a, a surgence of being more natural, mm. you want that Brazilian silky hair <laughs> because it's natural hair. So right, there's, right. there's a whole industry that's, that's evolved because I can grow my hair, I can sell my hair, and I'll be made into a wig. It probably started with, I would guess, like really early wigs would probably be all natural hair or you would maybe even animal hair in some cases. And then, you know, like the, I think a lot of those, we were talking about the powdered wigs, a lot of those were like horse hair, I think. Um, And then, you know, once you had like acrylic and stuff like that, you could start having those synthetic hairs. But, and again, I I don't really know much about wigs, but I would imagine acrylic, you can't, um, I would imagine it'd be pretty limiting with like what you can do with it. It's what it is. Yeah. Because I mean, it's like, it can't take heat. It can't, you know, it can melt. So like, so I would guess like real hair, it's like you could actually style it more like real hair would be my guess, right? You can. Yeah. It's fascinating. We, Cincinnati was home to a large wig developer store. Hmm. Yeah. And it is now Japs. 
Oh, so I Chaps, heard that. Yeah, right. so when yeah, Chaps yeah. was originally, it had been closed up yeah. for years, and then when it was bought, they found all these wigs that oh, were wow. still there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we should, I, I kind of want to look just to see if there's any other interesting text here, because like this one's pretty interesting. Like, again, like these things say, they ask more questions than uh, answer them, but this uh, little tag says, if the shoe fits, wear it. Don't go near the water unless you know how to swim. There are more than one side to every question. Nine tailors make a man. Nine tailors make a man. Makes huh. you think about tailoring. Well, again, it's also interesting because it brings in men into the equation, like in that it brings in issues of gender and in, back into it, which is is a sort of fascinating side of this. And when you're talking about gender, this is a great one. So this quote is below a wig that is braided, mm-hmm. and it says, Truth was asked that she display her breast to confirm her sex during a meeting that she might have been a man masquerading as a woman. Yeah. The idea of deception, again, is coming up, yeah, right? Those wigs. Yeah. Like something... Uh, oh, this one is the same one. It says she dressed them as twins, sometimes female, sometimes male. It's the same thing as from the, over there, but it's this one is with the doll wigs, which changes it, right? Like when you see the doll wigs, suddenly it's like, it's, it really says something there. This is definitely my sister. Choosing which wig to wear always took a moment or two to decide. Yeah. And even though she wears it as a hat, is she going to have her long curly one? Yeah. Or is she going to have just the one that's going to be down to her shoulders? Yeah. It's like that idea of like, what are you deciding? You know, like you, what, what, what's sort of the unspoken thing there about what you want it to say? Or like, you know, there's so much about like, oh, I think I wear this because it makes me look more like this. Or it, you know, it's, it's so much more about like who you want to be in a way. Yeah. For me, it would be fascinating to see how this exhibit would be created today, knowing all the different types of wigs that we have out there now, now that we have the red, orange, blue, pink, purple, and green combined wigs, mm. all the hair that you can weave into your hair, you yeah. know, like this one, because this is really a, a piece that you would tie in right, right. and braid into your, your own hair. Yeah. How would it look today? Huh. Yeah, it's a good question. What would be different? Yeah, what would styles have changed? Yeah. And what and, would yeah. still be the same? Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. She's making like, you know, she's she's sort of started out as a photographer and then kind of started doing, this is sort of a middle phase where she started doing a little more experimental things. You know, a lot of her earlier photographs really focus on people uh, or a lot of bodies, um, a lot of women. Often their heads are kind of cropped out, so they kind of stop short of the mouth. Um, <clears throat> and then she started doing stuff like this with kind of unusual materials and, and printing on different things. And now some of her more recent pieces, she's painting, she's drawing, she's doing lots of different things. So she's a person who works in so many different mediums. And, um, you know, she's really an artist who's, who's the work starts with an idea and then what it ends up being is sort of dictated by that idea, not just like, well, I'm a photographer, so I make photographs. It's more like, I want to talk about this, and this is the best way to do it. So she's a really fascinating artist. It is fascinating. I am a 
craft artist as well as a performing artist. And I don't always think about being a craft artist because mm. I just, I make my crafts where, and I make jewelry from it. Mm-hmm. And so it's, for me, it's always sending that message out to, to what I'm wearing. Well, in, in, in the material of this, I think it was one of my favorite things because it may, it, it has that feeling of hair. It does. <laughs> because it's printed on felt, it's like, it, it, it makes it feel like the texture of hair as you're looking at it. It kind of reflects the, the light in the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it makes it, I, I remember thinking like, oh, this is going to be a very hard piece to keep people from touching because it looks like so tempting, doesn't it? It does because there are some of them that... I'm, like, I'm looking I, at uh, uh, Becky here as a guard. This one as well. It's almost as if it pops off the page like you could go in, pull it yeah, and put it on. Do you, have to, do you have to keep people from touching a lot on this one? Yeah. <laughs> she said she does. I mean, I think it's, yeah, it's the material. It, it really makes you want, I mean, it's, yeah, it's so, it looks so soft. You just really want to touch it. And it's hung differently than most pieces of artwork are hung in the museum. You know, you typically don't see what is keeping it on the wall. Right. But you can see these pens, yeah. which if you have a wig head, you use pens to keep your wig yeah, on the wig head. That's true. That's true. That's funny. I didn't think about it. I guess I was still, you know, and I, I started talking about the sort of idea of it, almost like a scientific display. I was thinking of like pinning butterflies, but I didn't even think about the way you use pins uh, to actually work with wigs. So it's another, like, it's a perfect way of hanging them. And, and she's obviously made that a point by, by a point, ha ha ha, by, by leaving them, uh, exposed. Yeah. It's like a lot of times we try to hide, uh, the way they're hidden, uh, the way works are hung, but here, uh, it's just fully on view. That makes me think too. Now I have to bring this up, even though it's so silly. Have you ever watched Shit's Creek? I have not. Okay. So it's this, uh, Kind of sitcom. It's uh, Canadian, um, and it has um, Catherine O'Hara and Eugene Levy in it. And Catherine O'Hara's character is named Moira Rose, and she's this. They're sort of like wealthy people who have lost all their money and had to move into this like crappy motel out in the middle of nowhere. And she, the only thing she could take with her were all her wigs. And so she, so it's like this motel wall with all these wigs like nailed to the wall. <laughs> So, so this makes me think of Moira Rose too. Just Tell imagine. me the name of that episode or the sitcom. It's called Shit's Creek. Shit's Creek. I'm but it's, have to. it's spelled like a like a last name S C H I T T Shit's Creek. Yeah. I am going to have to look it up. It's very funny. Um, and if you enjoy Catherine O'Hara being a diva and having a very strange, unidentified actory accent, she plays like a former um, soap opera actress. And everything is sort of enunciated in this sort of <laughs> strange, like sometimes it's very British, but sometimes it's not. And it's like, because it's Canadian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but it's like, you know, she'll very intentionally like put a weird, like some, a weird, uh, heat on a word. <laughs> it's like, what did she just say? <laughs> so she's great. Uh, it's, it's amazing. And, uh, a big part of every episode is just sort of hoping she's going to be wearing something amazing and have some ridiculous wig. <laughs> I she- think, the wigs off the wall and wears them yeah i think sometimes i i've heard like the um that she's actually worn some of the wigs like backwards to get these sort of really bizarre looks like she'll just put up the wig on backwards they'll wear the same wig from another episode but she'll have it on backwards so that looks totally different <laughs> do you have a favorite wig 
Oh my gosh. You know what? I actually probably do love the blonde wig. I think because it does stick out so much as like an anomaly, but it also makes me think of, oh my gosh, this is really like actually kind of perfect. Have you ever seen the movie Dress to Kill? Yes. So it makes me, reminds me of Dress to Kill, which I I don't want to give away any of the ending of Dress to Kill, but that's definitely a movie about wigs and identity. (laughs) And maybe a movie that is not as culturally sensitive as it should be, but it was made in the late 70s, early 80s. I can't remember now. Um, Long time ago. Yeah. (laughs) What's your favorite wig? I like this one only because it reminds me of my mother who hasn't been with us for eight years. And that is something that she would put her wigs in the net and Mm -hmm. put them to bed. She actually had, there was a drawer. Oh, okay. That there were a couple of wig stands on the dresser Mm. that were the ones that were in the rotation for that week. Mm. But then the drawer had the hodgepodge of wigs. Wow. And I can remember opening the drawers and taking them out and trying them on and putting them back on. So... This uh, little tag here, uh, I, I meant to bring this up earlier, but this one's really fascinating. And I, I actually heard um, when I was doing my research, Lorna Simpson talk about it. So it says that that slaveholders have the privilege of taking their slaves to any part of the country they think proper. It occurred to me that my wife was nearly white. I might get her to disguise herself as an invalid gentleman, assumed to be my master while I could attend as his slave, and that in that this manner we might affect our escape. So this was a true story. Yeah. She found out... And the part that she doesn't include here that I think is really fascinating is that I guess in the story she was telling, um, when they, uh, they got to some point where they were being sort of inspected or something and they asked her to read a letter, um, and she couldn't read, but she said she had learned sort of the way her sort of privileged white masters had, would act. And she like kind of knew that she could just sort of say like, how dare you ask me to read this letter? Like, and, and just sort of take that attitude with them and just sort of say like, how dare you ask me to read something like this right now? I, I do you know what, how, how stressed I am right now and blah, blah, blah. And it worked. <laughs> and I would say that that happened on more than one occasion. Yeah. And that there are probably many, as, as we're talking about this, about being white, mm. passing for white, yeah. but there are many families that have that story in their lineage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and it's, it also brings up that idea of like, I mean, the idea of skin color and hair color is like, it's not really any different, right? Mm. But the difference, the different cultural weight it has, right? Like, you know, it it bears so much different weight, but it's like, you're like, well, it's the same stuff that makes your hair darker, that makes skin darker. So why, like, but it's so fascinating. Again, this idea of becoming somebody else, it's like, she's, she's really like, by putting that in there, she's also brought in this really amazing historical aspect and, and like made this piece that's already kind of big to me culturally, but made it even bigger in this really interesting way. And it's a testament to the museum really supporting women who are, as the exhibit is called, breaking boundaries. Yeah. And not just breaking boundaries by doing art that is non-traditional that you would normally see, but breaking boundaries by bringing historical truths to the forefront. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for being my guest today. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. You're welcome. 
Thank you for listening to Art Palace. We hope you'll be inspired to come visit the Cincinnati Art Museum and have conversations about the art yourself. General admission to the museum is always free, and we also offer free parking. The special exhibition on view right now is Women Breaking Boundaries. And opening February 28th is Something Over Something Else, Romare Bearden's profile series. You're invited to our free opening celebration for that exhibition on February 27th, beginning at 5 p.m., which will feature a lecture from two of the curators at 7 p.m. No reservations are required, and seating for the lecture is first come, first serve. For program reservations and more information, visit CincinnatiArtMuseum.org. You can follow the museum on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, and also join our Art Palace Facebook group. Our theme song is Ofran Musicale by Bacalao. And as always, please rate and review us to help others find the show. I'm Russell Eyrig, and this has been Art Palace, produced by the Cincinnati Art Museum.